I don't want to get to the end of my life and find out that I missed out on the blessing that God had prepared for me. See, God gives each of us the opportunity to be his beloved child. God gives us the opportunity to have a birthright and a blessing from him. He offers us his pardon from sin. He offers us power for living. He offers us a promise in heaven. God's blessing is ours to gain or to lose. So we can take our pick. Today we're going to meet a man in the Bible who had every opportunity to get the birthright and the blessing, but he failed to obtain the blessing of God. And we're going to see how it's possible for us to fail to obtain the blessing of God. So this is, this is really important because you don't want to get to the end of your life and find out that you missed out on the blessing that God had available for you. So God's blessing is yours for the taking or the losing. So you could take your pick. So as Chad said, we're uh, continuing our series through the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we've been discovering our spiritual roots, we've been talking about relationships, and we've been talking about God's redemption. So I want to welcome you here, I want to welcome you if you're watching online, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25, and we'll start with verse 21. And we're looking at the story of a messed up family. This is one of the founding families of the people of God, of Israel. And this family makes reality TV families look tame. The Kardashians, they're tame compared to this. Uh, the dad is Isaac, the mother's Rebecca, and they got twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And if you're here today, and you're a guest, and you're kind of like going, I'm not sure that I can really trust the Bible because uh, people just made it up. Uh, first of all, we want you to know we welcome you. But this is one story that might make you want to reconsider. Because if you were making up a history of a group of people and you wanted to make them look good, you would never tell this story. You would create heroes that are doing everything right. But this story isn't that. That's why I don't think it was made up. It's real. In fact, nobody in the story looks good. The father, Isaac, in the story, he plays favorites. The mother, Rebecca, in the story, she plays favorites too. She is a manipulative, opportunistic per, uh, person who creates a scam to actually steal something from one of her sons. And then one son, Esau, is a lustful, impetuous, impatient, sensual, rebellious man who does not appreciate spiritual blessings. And the other son, Jacob, he is a scheming, conniving, pretty boy. All right, with that as background, let's look at it. Genesis 25, verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Skip down to verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called him, his name Esau. How'd you like to put that on a birth announcement? Hey, we, here's our baby. He's hairy, you know? He's, I mean, that, when you look at a baby like that, you go, wow, that's, that's a baby. Um, 
The name Esau actually means hairy. This is a person who was born first, of course, and it's important to remember because the firstborn son had all these special privileges in the Bible days. The, the family name and the titles came through the line of the eldest son. His inheritance would be larger. He would have more uh, leadership influence. And then also, the promised Messiah was going to come through his family line. So all of these privileges belonged to Esau by birth. Verse 26, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. So this um, word Jacob is very similar to the Hebrew word for heel. So if you want to trip somebody up, you grab them by the heel and down the other guy goes. And that name is very appropriate for Jacob because he was a man who was willing to lie and deceive in order to trip up somebody to get what he wanted. So his name really means deceiver. 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac, dad, loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we got Esau here. He is a man's man. He's an outdoor man. He's a macho man. I mean, this guy would fit right in with the Duck Dynasty dudes. All right, Esau. Jacob is a mama's boy. He's the type of guy that would have a reality show that would be a cooking show on TV. All right? So what we got here is a really dysfunctional family. But because there's hope for this family, there's hope for your family, right? Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Now, he was the father of the Edomites, enemies of God, eventually, God's people, eventually. And the word Edom is a word that means red. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, what you see here is Jacob, who has an appreciation for the birthright. Jacob wants the inheritance. He wants the privileges. He wants the rights of the firstborn. And Esau didn't value that. He is starving. So, he sells his birthright to get some stew. And what he didn't consider is that the birthright precedes what's even more important. Because the one who has the birthright is also going to get the blessing. Now, time goes by. And Isaac, the father, is now blind. And he wants to give the family blessing, the blessing of God, to his eldest son, to Esau. So he says, go hunting, son, come back and cook me my favorite meal, and I will give you the blessing. So Rebecca, the mom, overhears this conversation, and she wants Jacob to get the blessing. So while Esau's out hunting, she conspires with Jacob. She says, I'll cook the meal, you take it to your father, you pretend you're Esau, and you will get the blessing. 
but I don't sound like Esau. Disguise your voice. I don't smell like Esau. Wear your brother's clothes. Well, I don't feel like Esau because he's hairy. Well, we'll get some goat skin and you can put it on your uh, neck and on your forearms and all of that and you'll feel like him. So before Esau gets back from hunting, Jacob deceives his father and gets the blessing. And basically the father says this, your oldest brother will serve you and the people that curse you will be cursed, but the people that bless you will be blessed. He gets the blessing. Now, flip ahead a couple of chapters to 27, Genesis 27, and let's look at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father, Isaac, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob, swindler, cheater, deceiver? <laughs> For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved the blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now, Esau is waiting. You know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for his father, Isaac, to die. He's waiting for his dad's funeral. And then he's planning another funeral. He's planning his brother's funeral. He's going to kill Jacob. So Jacob hears about that, and he runs away to his uncle's house in a distant land. Now, this is, the, this is an incredible story. I love this story. I remember as a kid, I just was fascinated by this story. And most of the time when we deal with this story, we learn how bad it is for mothers and how bad it is to fathers to play favorites in the family. And then we also learn that, you know, in a family, it's not a good idea to cheat and steal and lie and connive, okay? And all that's true. Those are legit lessons. But, but that's not the point of the story. And oftentimes, the way the story is told and the way we kind of process things, it makes us kind of feel sorry for the good old boy Esau. But you got to know something. Esau is not an innocent victim in this story. In fact, even before the twins were born, God himself had told their mother that the oldest one is going to serve the youngest one. Serve the youngest one. In fact, this story and these twins are referenced in a kind of a controversial passage in Romans chapter 9. Let me just read part of it to you. When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather, Isaac, verse 12, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, this is God speaking, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. 
Wow, God said that? 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he, God, says to Moses, this is God talking, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now God's saying, I'm God, you're not. I can do what I want to do. Now why did God choose Jacob over Esau? I mean, what did God see in Jacob? And the answer is, nothing good. Jacob is a liar and a swindler and a cheat. And when God chooses, he chooses just because. He talks about this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And there the question is asked, why does God love you? Because he sees something so awesome in you? And the answer is, just because. God loves you just because. Why does God love? Because he loves. That's why. So the Lord loves Jacob, not because Jacob deserved it, but because God chose to pour out his love on him. And so Jacob received the blessing. Esau failed to obtain the grace of God. Why is that? And I think there are really two answers to the question. One of them relates to God's sovereignty. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. But we also see in this story human responsibility on display. Because you see, God's sovereignty does no violence to human responsibility. So we need to be people that do not strip God of his sovereignty and say that man is uh, you know, master of his own ship, captain of his own fate, and all that. But we're not going to strip man of, of his human responsibility. Instead, what we're going to do is respect the mystery of the relationship between divine responsibility on the one hand and human responsibility on the other because both are taught in the Bible. So is there tension here? Yes. Is this a divine mystery that we can't really fully understand? Yes. Is this beyond our comprehension? Yes. I, I love what C.H. Spurgeon says about this, that God predestines and that man is responsible are two things that few can see. They are believed to be inconsistent and contradictory, but they are not. It is just the fault of our weak judgment. Two truths cannot be contradictory to each other. If then I find in one place that everything is foreordained, that is true. And if I find in another place that man is responsible for all his actions, that is true. And it is my folly that leads me to imagine that two truths can ever contradict each other. These two truths are two lines that are so nearly parallel that the mind that will pursue them the farthest will never discover that they converge. But they do converge and they will meet somewhere in eternity. I love that. So let's just deal with it. God is sovereign. We're responsible. So there's no good reason why God would love Jacob. He's a scheming, conniving, ambitious, opportunistic man who is willing to lie and steal and cheat in order to get ahead in life. Why would God choose somebody like that? But in spite of all of that, he chose him. Now, on the human responsibility side, what Jacob did have going for him was this. He valued the blessing and the birthright. He wanted the spiritual. He wanted the intangible. He valued it. Now, what about Esau? He failed to obtain the blessing, the grace of God. Why? Well, if you consider the divine sovereignty of side of things, he just simply wasn't chosen. Esau, I hated. You say, well, that's not fair. Not really, because 
Esau bears the responsibility for failing to obtain God's grace. Say, well, how do you know that? How did he fail to obtain God's grace? What's the human responsibility side? Think about it. Out of all of the Old Testament characters, the New Testament writer to the Hebrews could have chosen. He selects Esau and he holds him up as a warning to us, as a warning to the church today. Hebrews 12, 15, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God like Esau. What he's saying here is that, listen, over here, don't become like Esau. Up there, don't be Esau. That's the idea here. So we don't need to be soft toward Esau. God sees the heart. Esau did not value the spiritual, the eternal, the intangible blessings of God. He didn't want the birthright. He didn't want the blessing more than he wanted worldly pleasures. So let's look at this story in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. What we're going to see here is the New Testament interpretation, the New Testament application of the Jacob Esau story. Hebrews 12, 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, what does all of this have to do with you and me? The answer is, it is possible for you and me to be present-day Esau's. It is possible for you and me, even though we've been in church and Sunday school, to fail to obtain the blessings of God, the birthright of God, the grace of God, this is much, 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 much more than a moralistic story about not cheating and having a good family. This is all about you and me getting the grace of God, the blessing of God as it's found in Jesus Christ. So if you want to inherit the blessing, if you want the birthright of being a child of God, then I got four questions for you today. Here's the first one. Am I sour or sweet? Am I sour or sweet? What's happened in your life? How have you been treated unjustly? And you're ticked about it, and you can't let it go. I want you to look at verse 15 again. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now, 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 we don't know this whole story, but it is easy for us to see how Esau could have become bitter, right? To allow bitterness to take root in his heart, because life didn't work out the way he wanted it to. So it appears that he is bitter toward his brother, he's bitter toward his mother, he's even bitter toward his father, and ultimately he's bitter against God. You've got to understand, when anger and resentment go unchecked in our lives, they will grow like weeds in the soil of our souls. Bitterness will overtake the fruit of new life. It will cause us trouble and it will infect everyone around us. If we hold on to bitterness, we will never be able to receive the birthright and blessing of God. And maybe you showed up here today and truth be told, you're resentful. You feel like you've been cheated. Your boss 
didn't give you the raise that you deserved. Your parents gave more to your siblings than they did to you. Uh, A friend lied about you and betrayed you. And so now you sulk. And you're just perpetually ticked. And you know you're not as close to God as you used to be. And maybe, just maybe, God brought you here today to say, it's time for you to let it go. It's time for you to trust me with that hurt, with that injustice. Because if you don't, you will fail to obtain my grace, the birthright, the blessing. So question one, am I sour or sweet? Question two, am I sensual or spiritual? Am I sensual or spiritual? See, if you're you're pursuing the pleasures of the flesh, you're going to rob yourself of the grace of God. Look at verse 16 about Esau. Hebrews 12, 16, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Now, how do we know that Esau was sexually immoral and unholy? Well, we're not going to look at it, but in Genesis chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, where there are two verses that give us some insight. Those verses say that Esau married two ungodly, pagan, Hittite women who made life bitter for his father and his mother. See, God's people are supposed to marry God's people, and Esau didn't. He married ungodly pagan women. He didn't marry for spiritual reasons. He married outside the will of God for sensual reasons. His heart was drawn toward pleasure, toward the sensual, toward satisfying his lust. He didn't deny himself. He didn't say no to his flesh. And we see that today, right? It happens here. It could be happening to you. We pursue pleasure and popularity and riches and reputation and health and fame and convenience and possessions and entertainment. All at the expense of our souls. And you know, if you keep going down that path at the end, hell is waiting. Jesus says this, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a price to pay for sensual pleasure. I mean, this is an ongoing battle, right, for all of us. And none of us on this side of heaven is going to win all the time. Because the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. And if you're a true child of God though, and you've got the birthright, and you've got the blessing of God, you will fight this fight, and by God's grace, you will see to it that overall the spirit wins the battle against the flesh. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself would be disqualified. And there are some of us in this room, you're about to be disqualified because you're not keeping the body under control. It's out of control. Somebody walked through these doors today 
And you've been losing that battle between the sensual and the spiritual. Been cheating on your spouse. Or your looks, your appearance, your fitness. You're all about it. It's become your God. And that's sensual. Or you've been sitting in front of your TV night after night after night, numbing your soul. And maybe God brought you here today to say, Enough! Turn to me. The the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly so that you could get the birthright and the blessing. Jesus says, be spiritual and return to me. Am I sour or sweet? Am I sensual or spiritual? Am I short-sighted or heavenly-minded? Again in verse 16, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Now, yes, Jacob exploited his brother in a moment of weakness, and that's not cool. But Esau was indifferent to his firstborn status. He was the natural heir, but he did not grasp the significance of all that God had promised He would fulfill through the unique line, the family line from Abraham. Esau should have known better. He had heard the stories about the promises of God from his grandfather Abraham. If you just look at the story, Esau was 15 when Abraham died. Grandfathers love to tell stories to their grandkids. I know grandfather Abraham told Esau all the stories about how God had visited him. All the promises God had made. He'd heard all this stuff from his father Isaac too. You know what this means? He grew up in the church. Esau went to Sunday school. And the birthright belonged to him. It was available to him. But he didn't care. Because he loved the here and now. Everything in the present was real to him. And the stuff in the future, unreal. So for momentary pleasure... For short-term carnal indulgence, Esau damned his soul. He pleased his palate, he satisfied his cravings, and then he carelessly went on his way without any serious thought about the bad deal that he made. And he showed no sign of regret, not immediately. And somewhere in this room, it's probably a teen or a young adult, Raised in the church. And you've heard all the Bible stories. You've heard all about the promises of God. But you are one or two decisions away from selling your birthright and potentially losing the blessing of God. Because you're just about to say yes to that young man or that young woman that you know is not God's best for you. You won't tell your mom or your dad or your Christian friends who you've been hanging out with lately. You're living a double life and you're just about to walk away from Jesus and His church. And maybe God brought you here today to say, stop, think, repent. Don't trade your birthright and your eternal Blessing for a short-term fix, for a temporary pleasure.
pleasure. Am I sour or sweet? Am I sensual or spiritual? Am I short-sighted or heavenly-minded? Last question. Am I too late or on time? Am I too late or on time? Look at verse 17. I think it's one of the most terrifying verses in the Bible. For you know that afterward when he, when Esau, desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I mean, Esau cried, but he couldn't get the blessing. But his tears didn't wash away his sins. For him, there was no blessing to be found, because Esau did not come in time. See, his tears are not the tears of godly repentance. His tears are the tears of, of personal regret. He wasn't crying because I've lost the favor of God. No, he's crying because he thought he'd lost the worldly advantages that the birthright and the blessing would get him. And what a tragedy it is for someone to recognize too late, I've sold the birthright and I've lost the blessing. And now the door is shut. You know, the Bible teaches that there is an acceptable time. The Bible teaches there is a time when God will be found. There is a time when God will answer those who call upon Him. But there is a time when God will not answer those who call upon Him because they have neglected the appointed time. And someone here is in this room and you know Jesus has been calling and calling and calling and calling you to Himself. But you've been putting Him off. You've been saying, not now, later, maybe tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes for you, does it? And unless something changes in your heart soon, you will regret the choices you've made. And you will one day in eternity, away from God forever, call yourself a fool. John Calvin talks about this. They who neglect to follow God when He calls on them, afterwards call upon Him in vain when He has turned His back. They who suffer that time to pass by may at length knock too late and without profit because God avenges himself of their idleness. We must therefore fear, lest if with deafened ears we suffer the voice of God now to pass unheeded by, he should in turn become deaf to our cry. Don't wait. Too late. Because that's what happened to Esau. Don't let it happen to you. And I just have to believe, if you're here today and you're sitting under the sound of this teaching, you're under God's word here today, then I believe it's not too late for you. But if you leave here without repenting, I wonder. That's why Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. And call upon Him while He's near. And let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon.
Am I sour or sweet? Sensual or spiritual? Short-sighted or heavenly-minded? Too late or on time. Is there an Esau here today? Who has sold your soul for pleasure? You've sold your soul for what? A pot of stew, which in the end amounts to nothing. That's why Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? C.H. Spurgeon once said this, if you do not wish to have to weep and gnash your teeth in anguish and in anger at your own stupidity, fly now, I pray you, to the hope that is set before you in the gospel and lay hold of Jesus who alone can save you. Remember, if you leave this world without getting this blessing, you will, like Esau, find no place of repentance, though you seek it carefully with tears. And when you're in an eternity away from God, there won't be a dry eye then. Will that be you? You will either experience an eternal night without a morning in hell, or an eternal morning without a night in heaven. So you take your pick. I love the fact that God loves to do the unexpected. God loves to do surprising things. And in this case, he took Jacob, the weaker one, and lifted him up. He took the liar and the conniver, and he redeemed him. God used a very crooked stick to draw a straight line. And if God chose to bless Jacob, then there's hope for you and me. I mean, if God gave Jacob grace, then God could give grace to you. Why? No reason. Just because he chooses who he chooses to display his great and glorious grace. And I love this. Later, and we're going to find out more about this in subsequent weeks, Later, God gave Jacob, the deceiver, a new name. He changed his name to Israel, which means prince of God, the one who prevails with God. And you know what? That's grace. He will take you and make you new. It's because of God's grace that Jacob even valued the blessing and desperately wanted it. And is that true about you? Has something been awakened in you today to say, you know what, I don't want to deny my birthright. I don't want to lose my birthright. And I don't want to lose the blessing of God. If there's something stirring in you like that today, then that's God at work. See, the best of us are only Jacobs, liars, deceivers, and we're really no better than Esau. But as Paul puts it in Romans 9, we aren't saved and given a new name because we're better than our brothers and sisters. No, we're saved because of God's sovereign grace that is found in Jesus Christ, the one who takes our sin and is nailed to the cross with Him. He forgives us and then He rises again and clothes us in His righteousness. So it's because of Jesus that we become beloved children of God who get both the birthright and the blessing. That's why we say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So here's the takeaway today. God's blessing is yours to gain,
or to lose. Take your pick. And if you pick the blessing, you need to know that it only is going to come to you by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. I don't know what your response to this is today. In the program, there's a, a prayer you could pray to reach out to Christ. It's going to be on the screen. Let me read it. Dear Lord, I've allowed the things of this world to crowd out my interest in you. My worldly lusts and wicked logic have been leading me toward a wasted life. Today I repent. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Before it's too late, I turn to you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and that he rose again so that I could be forgiven. Change my life. Make me your beloved child. Please grant to me your blessing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I think there are many in this room. You've been to church. You've been to Sunday school. You've flirted with Christ. But today's the day for you to make a new, fresh, real, life-changing surrender of your life to Christ. You need to pray this prayer. I mean, that's not a magic prayer. But if that prayer expresses the desire of your heart, today's the day for a new beginning for you. You're going to move from Esau to Jacob. So would you pray that prayer? And if you do, check the box in your program. Let us know so we can help you grow and learn what it means to, to, to step into the birthright, into the blessing in the fullest way possible. Lord, I pray that as people check these boxes and put these cards in the basket, you would do a mighty, mighty work in our lives. God, this is a church we need to repent. We need to repent of the Esau spirit. We need to embrace this Jacob spirit, that we need to want the blessing and the birthright more than anything else in this world. Because when we get the blessing, you will bless the world through us in ways that we never dreamed possible. You will bring the Messiah through us to others. So God, help us. Heaven, help us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chad mentioned that uh, we just came back from Indonesia. A group of nine of us from our church went over there. And that's a picture of some of us there with some of the Indonesians and some of the children and some of our translators. It was, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. I got to speak in code language because this is on the internet. <laughs> And we're really not supposed to go and do what we did there. It's like against the law to actually go and try to encourage people to put their faith and trust in our leader, our master. Um, we joined with a, a couple there. We call them T and K. They're our, they're our partners. They're the people that are there. And they have to be there kind of incognito too. They have, to, they have a tourist business. They're travel uh, guides. And so, you know, they got to do some of that when we go. So one of the things that we did in one of those villages is we went um, swimming and snorkeling and stuff like that. And one of the members of our team, not, not, not a great swimmer, so uh, she needed a life preserver. And so our host went down the beach trying to find somebody who had a life vest. And finally got to the village at the end of the beach, and he found one. So he came back, and she did her snorkeling. And when it was all over, he wanted to take the... Life preserver back. Remember, this is an island. Three million people. Only just a few hundred followers. So um, 
Our host there has not even seen the very first person come to faith yet. So when he took the life preserver back, um, he gave it to this man. <laughs> and this man is actually a ship captain, takes people out to go fishing. And um, began to tell the story about our leader, our master. And when he told the story, this guy said, you know what, we've been watching a movie. And at the end of the movie, when they put his hands and feet on the cross, we all cry. And our, our host was able to say, can I tell you why he had to die? And so he told him the story. And at the end he said, do you believe? And the man goes, yes, I do. The first person on this island to come to faith. Wow. That's him. So now there's going to be a follow-up, going back to the village and, and going to say, okay, let's, let's go through some you know, more stories. And, and hopefully this man will follow and be baptized. And it's going to be exciting, exciting. I just want to say thank you. Because when you give here, Stuff like that happens. So you're, you're part of that. Thank you. Father, take these offerings and may more lives be changed. Not only on the other side of the world, but right here in Northeast Ohio, right across the street from where we live. For we pray that you do it in Christ's name. Amen.